This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. When I think of the goddesses who have graced the film screens in history, my mind goes to Marilyn Monroe, Elizabeth Taylor, Grace Kelly. But then, the woman who truly came alive on film, Miss Rita Hayworth. Winthrop Sargent, who wrote for Life magazine, described Rita Hayworth as the great American love goddess. In fact, she was featured on the cover of Life magazine four times. Fred Astaire claimed that she was his favorite dance partner. And with her signature role, Gilda, Rita Hayworth left her legacy as a legend for the ages. During her 37 years as an actress, she made 61 films. Director George Cooker said of Miss Hayworth that she was a real creature of the movies, possessing the quality of involving the audience in her problem, like all the greatest stars. Rita Hayworth married five times, and sadly, those were mostly shrouded in an unhappiness. She had two daughters, Rebecca with her husband Orson Welles and Princess Yasmin with Prince Ali Khan. A shy vulnerability always veiled Rita Hayworth's life, but there were a few people who truly recognized and understood her fragility. And one of those is my guest today, Bud Burton Moss, legendary Hollywood agent and friend to Rita Hayworth. Bud is himself Hollywood royalty. He is the son of Louis B. Moss, renowned film editor, and nephew to Sam Zimbalist, who produced many of the greatest films of all time at MGM. Bud would hang out at his uncle's house listening to film stars who were visiting and reading scripts, loving every minute of being surrounded by the Hollywood glamour that he loved. His uncle encouraged him to go into producing, but it was acting that Bud wanted to try. After viewing a screening of Blood and Sand directed by Ruben Mamoulian, Bud Moss caught his first glimpse of the lovely Rita Hayworth at work. Their lives were destined to cross years later. Bud Moss became an agent and manager to many great Hollywood stars, and he has written two books on working in Hollywood, and All I Got Was 10%, and then Hollywood, Sometimes the Reality is Better Than the Dream. Bud has been no stranger to my show here on Center Stage, but we have never had the opportunity to dedicate an extended interview about the woman who he respectfully idolized. Little did he know that as a young man when he first saw Rita Hayworth in Blood and Sand, that he would eventually become her agent and very close friend and her confidant. So I do not want to delay any further. I want to welcome Bud Moss to center stage. Bud, it is always a thrill to have you. Thank you, my dear Pamela. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Me too, me too. And there is that beautiful voice of yours, which I always love. Thank you. Bud, Bud, because we are really, really uh, dealing with Rita Hayworth today. Can you please tell us and share with us about seeing Rita Hayworth for your first time? Margarita Carmen Cancino was Rita Hayworth's real name. And I had gone with my mom and dad to a screening, a cast and crew screening at Fox Studio 
of blood and sand. I knew nothing about bullfighting. The movie starred Tyrone Power. I knew nothing about life in Spain as it was laid out in this magnificent film of Rubens. And there on the screen, holding Tyrone Power in her hand practically, was this magnificent Rita Hayworth. And at 11, 12 years old, I was taken by her beauty and by the, the film. And I leaned over to my mother and I whispered in her ear, Mom, she's almost as beautiful as you are. <laughs> she has the same color red hair. That is so And that family has started me on a journey that has taken me practically around the world with Rita going back to the 60s. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. And here you were such a young man. You were you were totally immersed in the Hollywood experience already at that young age. And uh, you said you wanted to become a bullfighter after seeing Blood and Sand as well. Uh, you had that desire. How did that desire work out for you, Bud? Well, it was an adventure that took me down to Mexico after talking about wanting to be a bullfighter for a long time. My family used to have a restaurant and a bar in Westwood Village called the Matador. And the back room, which I referred to as the the dungeon, was a, a room that could probably hold 40 or 50 people comfortable with bullfighter posters and flamenco music played by Vicente Gomez and dancing by uh, the great Carmen Amaya. And I bring up these names, Pamela, because in my travels, when I went to Mexico City in hopes that I could become what they call a novice bullfighter, a noviero, I became friends with many of the bullfighters and their sons. And on occasion, we would go and see uh, the various stars that came down to Mexico from Spain and different places. And lo and behold... There was Carmen Amaya playing at the Rialto Theater in Mexico City. And I found my way to the stage door and told uh, whoever was the, the stage manager there that I was a bullfighting fan, that I knew of Carmen Amaya from Blood and Sand, and I'd like to meet with her. Mm -hmm. He kind of laughed me off, but one of her nephews was standing by, another one of the dancers, and we started to talk, and I told him about my journey. And he said, wait until after the show, and you will be able to meet uh, <laughs> Carmen Amaya. That is incredible. <laughs> Little did I know, because after a while, they had the what they call the zapateado dancing and the clapping of the hands. Mm -hmm. I started to learn all the routines, and finally, one Saturday, they said, Jose's not going to be in the show today you're going to be able to come on stage in a flamenco shirt and very tight bullfighter pants. You'll be able to dance with me and with Carmen Amaya. Somewhere, Pamela, there's still in my archives a picture of me on stage at, I don't know, late 20s, looking like I wanted to be Jose Greco, another <laughs> great dancer of that period. And what an opportunity for you. What a moment. 
This is incredible. So the bullfighting you pursued, you, you it was replaced, let's say. My, my bullfighting was very limited. The young uh, wannabe bullfighters that would practice not far from the Plaza de Toros took me out to various bull ranches over the period of six, seven months where they had what they call a tienta. A tienta is where the, the, the saying of the bullfighters, a bull, bull, a bull gets his strength from his father, and bull gets his courage from his mother. And these little calves, they were probably three feet tall, have you, will have you, where the, where they were like lightning. And we'd get into the ring with our torn capes and everything, and I would probably spend more time on the ground I still, by the way, have a couple of black marks in my old age on my rear end from some of the bulls that would hit me when I was a kid there. I'm amazed. We, ha- we have not had this discussion yet, Bud Moss. I love that. So this is something you seriously wanted to pursue. I mean, how dangerous was this, Bud? Well, I managed to stay far enough away that danger was not a word in my vocabulary. <laughs> What frustrated me more than anything else is having been there for like six months. I was in Monterey, Mexico, with two of the professional bullfighters that became friends of mine, Jose Calacero and uh, Juan Benvenida. And I took ill while I was down there. It was like the flu bug. And they said, Bud, we're so close to the, uh, the Texas border. Why don't we drive you up to El Paso? And you can get a penicillin shot at the health station, and that probably will make you feel better. Mm-hmm. It's like an hour ride, two hours ride. Mm-hmm. I got my shot, Tom, and I went back to my apartment in Mexico City. Fourteen days to the day that I got my shot was the incubation period for me to come down with a violent case of hepatitis. Oh, my gosh. I could have died had it not been for an American couple that I knew that was aware of what happened to me who had this home that they had rented in Cuernavaca. And they took me in for three months. And they had this young, this young helper they had, uh, one of their maids, a 16, 17-year-old girl who took care of me morning, noon, and night and made sure that I was well enough eventually to go back to the States. And that kind of put a damper, so to speak, on what I wanted to do as far as becoming the next great Manolete. But I would always have fond memories of Mexico City, and I would go back over the years and see some of the fighters that I got to know during the time that I was there in the, in the early 50s. But what happened after my journey down there, and as I was growing up with the desire uh, to become more involved in the industry. My dad, when I was 17, got me a job in the commissary as a busboy during the summer months. And I enjoyed it because I got to meet and see Betty Grable and Tyrone Power, uh, Shirley Temple. I got to shake her hand. She had her own private uh, dining room adjacent to the commissary. Really? It, uh, it, was, it was very exciting. Very exciting. And as I was cleaning <laughs> off my section of the tables, all of a sudden, 
my heart almost stopped, Pamela, because in walked the living, breathing Rita Hayworth, with the most powerful studio executive in Hollywood, Daryl F. Zanuck. Mm -hmm. And I froze. I just (laughs) stood there in my white busboy jacket with this rag that I was cleaning off tables. And I'm looking at her, and I said, Bud, this is the time that you can go over and tell her. Yes. That you saw her in Blood and Sand, and you waited since you were 11 years old to meet. And if she could only maybe wait another couple of years, we might be able to even start uh, dating. (laughs) And I got so excited about it, and all of a sudden, I get hit in the head by a wet towel, Pam. And it was the maitre d' who hit me in the head with it, and he said, Moss, wake up and go all clean off table 19. (laughs) So you were still living in your dreams. I love this. That was the closest that I got to Rita Hayworth, but there she was, living and breathing, and within a grasp, just inches away. Isn't that incredible? And one thing I admire about you, you you really, you grew up in Hollywood and with all these fabulous relatives in the Hollywood business, but yet you started at the ground up and you made your way. You're a self-made man in Hollywood yourself. So how, how long was it until you actually were able to meet Miss Hayworth personally? Well, it was 1960, so you can count backwards to um, the mid-40s, the late-40s, the early-50s, when I saw her at the studio, I was now a full-time agent at General Artist Corporation. It was a big agency in Hollywood, very much like MCA and the William Morris Agency. And I was at this uh, cocktail party at the Polo Lounge with my former wife at the time, actress Ruth Roman. Mm-hmm. And in walked Rita with Bing Crosby. And I stood there and I said, Ruth, I- I've got to talk to Rita Hayworth. Come with me. And she says, no, bud, if it's that important, you can leave your wife standing here with egg on her face while you're talking to Rita Hayworth. <laughs> and I said, no, please. I said, don't start anything. So I-, I-, I had just had new business cards made up with my name on them along with the agency, and I pulled one out, and I walked over, and I said, Mr. Crosby, excuse me for interrupting you, but this is a very important meeting that I'm having with you, with Ms. Hayworth, and I wanted to tell her that I'm going to spend, I'm going to dedicate my, my career as an agent to one day find a movie for her, very much like Blood and Sand. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of standing there, not quite sure what to to say to me, and she says, well, I think that's great, Mr. Boss. She said, my um, attorney uh, is um, here in Beverly Hills, and if you give me your card, I will make sure that he has it. You can stay in touch with him, and hopefully you can find that movie for me. Mm -hmm. This, once again, as I said, was going back to 1960. I think that my life at that time with my brother and my family, we lived a very normal Hollywood life. We'd go to screenings. We'd go to various studio events. And what happened was right after the um, uh, time that I'd got into the agency business, it was 1967, and I'd been a very successful agent at that point. 
uh, thanks to people that became clients of ours and became very successful, like Martin Landau, Carol O'Connor, Sidney Poitier became my closest and dearest friend whom I had met when I was doing extra work on a movie called Blackboard Jungle. Of course. And I got a call from Edward Feldman, who then was the president of Warner Brothers Studios, who I knew somewhat socially through my travels with Jack Valenti. And he said, Bud, this is a call that uh, I would appreciate your keeping in confidence, but I need to ask some very personal questions, and I need you to answer them regarding Rita Hayworth, because people that I speak to have called her a drunk. People that I've met and talked to them is that she, at times, will have people come to her house, knock at the front door. They'd open the door, and they'd say, Hi, Rita, how are you? You invited us to come to have dinner. And she'd look at them, and she said, I don't know who you are. And she'd slam the door in their face. Mm. She became very volatile at that period of time, and people didn't realize that she was just slowly, at that point in the 60s, coming down, which would eventually the world got to know, was Alzheimer's. Quite, yeah. But we didn't know that, and it took uh, her beloved daughter, Princess Yasmin, to eventually find that out much later. But Feldman had said to me, I will send you a script. The movie starts in three weeks in Madrid, Spain, and I'd like to have lunch with you and Rita on Friday at the Polo Lounge and tell her about the film and give her the script. So I called her attorney, and he then called Rita. She was very excited. She hadn't worked for a while. And we had lunch with Ed Feldman at the Polo Lounge. And she said, I can't wait, Mr. Feldman. She said, this is kind of exciting for me. And I look forward to doing your film. And within days, we put the contracts together. And I found myself going to the makeup department with her, the wardrobe department with her. And lo and behold, the following week, our limousine was there to pick me up and Rita and onto our plane, our TWA plane, to Madrid, Spain. Incredible. Pamela, once again... It was like a dream come true. It was a journey that was supposed to take place, and I was supposed to be there to be Rita's agent at that period of time. So you had come full circle already from a young man watching her on screen in blood and sand, comparing her beautiful hair to the hair of your mother's, which I think is so adorable. And now you're working with her. Did you develop a quick working relationship with Miss Hayworth? Um, did you both become friendly uh, very quickly, uh, develop a sense of trust in this project? I think when I told her on the plane while we were flying to Madrid about my going to that screening, uh, the casting crew screening, and how I admired her work, and as a wannabe agent years later, I felt that I could be of great help to her career. Mm -hmm. I mean, mind you, Pamela, when you look back to some of the films that she did, 
going back pre-Gilded days, going back yes. to Only Angels Have uh, Wings Names. with Cary Grant in 1939, uh, films like Lady from Shanghai that she did with Orson Welles, her second husband, uh, which was were somewhere around 19... What do I say? 47. I think it was much later than that. Yeah. But she had made so many films, as you had uh, said earlier, and Blood and Sand in 1941 was kind of bringing her back into the business because she hadn't worked for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the film that you were both traveling to Spain for was a project directed by Nuccio Tesari by, called Il Bastardi. Now, this was important to her career at the time, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was an Italian Warner Brothers co-production. And for me, for Leonard Monroe, her agent, her, her attorney, and for all of her friends, it was that little extra shot that she needed to get her back into action. Mm-hmm. Was she happy to be working then, Bud? Very much so. Every day she was the first person on the set, and every day she was the last person to leave the studio. That's fantastic. And for her at that point, I mean, did you two share a lot of time together? We had good times together. I was fortunate on October 17th that they gave her the day off because it was her 50th birthday. Mm. And they had this enormous birthday cake on the set, which she didn't know anything about. And she was thrilled that people remembered it was her birthday. And she said, Bud, she said, I can't thank you enough. And I said, wait until tomorrow. I said, I'm going to take you. We had the day off to Toledo, Spain which is just a little over an hour, a little more than an hour from Madrid. And we're going to be able to see Greco's house. And we're going to learn about uh, the, the history of uh, this magnificent little village called Toledo. And we had dinner at a place called the, Four, the, the Spanish Four Seasons. And she had been a, 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 a she had visited the, uh, restaurant all the years that she was in Spain. She knew this place and she would have uh, a paella to start and she would have pheasant uh, to to finish off her dinner with a big uh, pitcher of sangria. Mm. And while we were there, all of a sudden some paparazzi saw us sitting there and grabbed that photo of the two of us, which you have seen sitting in the, uh, in, the in the area there in, in Toledo, Spain. Mm, how wonderful. How wonderful for you. You were living the dream, weren't you? I certainly was. <laughs> I, I think even at that period, there were a few times that Rita came close to getting streperous and getting argumentative. Mm-hmm. But Ducho would always come to her rescue, and he would take her off the set, and he would sit her down and quietly and talk to her. And she then would get her confidence back. But little did we know what was going on in that magnificent brain of hers because she was doing everything she could not to start blowing up and yelling at people and doing anything. That was something everybody said to me when we got home. It was amazing how the two of you knew what was happening and that um, uh, you could try and control it the best you can. Mm-hmm. That evening, when we came back to Madrid, uh, we decided to go back to the hotel, 
and get ready to go to this flamenco restaurant called La Corral de la Moraria, and they were going to specialize on having a little party for her there, too. And she got so involved in the flamenco dancers there that she and two other male dancers were dancing flamenco on tables where all the customers were were sitting. It was just a treat to see her in action. And this, of course, was an experience for you that will be lived out forever. Um, But this love goddess was in your hands quite literally for that trip and many others to follow. And I believe that um, this is something we're going to follow in part two of this interview on Rita Hayworth. We have so much to speak about, about your relationship with her, the, the fascination you always had with her. And, and her eventual end. And Bud Moss, I want to thank you for being on center stage with me. You have been so candid. Well, may I leave you and your audience with one little moment when we came back to the hotel that evening? Of course. She could not thank me. Her head was on my shoulder as we were going up on the elevator. And when we finally got to our room, whenever we would go out, she would just say to me at the end of the evening, we had a two-bedroom suite overlooking the plaza and the the Ritz Hotel and the uh, Prado. And I would just unhook her dress, and then I would depart into the other section of of our suite. As I was unhooking her and getting ready to go to my my bedroom, she leaned over and she said, Bud, she said, you've made me so happy. I'm just thrilled and excited about this evening. And she leaned over and she gave me a nice kiss on, on, on both cheeks. And I went to my bedroom and around maybe four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, I could see the shadow of, of my door. It had been slightly open. And before I knew it, I could smell the, the perfume that, uh, that Rita would wear called Arpege. And she came over and she sat on the edge of my bed and she said, but I really can't thank you. You've made my whole life totally different. And I want to thank you again. And Pamela, there was that brief moment of Rita kissing me on the lips that just was like the curtain finally coming down on this journey mm. that I had waited so long to take with Rita Hayworth. And it had finally arrived. Oh, Bud, thank you for sharing that beautiful story. Well, I look forward to part two of this interview with you. And in the meantime, I want you to take care, stay well, and to all of our listeners, I hope you will go to Center Stage with PamelaCoon.com for more information. And in the meantime, this is Pamela Coon, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage. <laughs>